This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. All right, I'm just going to throw a question into the void. Into the cauldron of of this podcast. I'm going to throw a question into the cauldron, and I would like you to answer it without thinking too hard. (gasps) Who is your favorite mean girl? The one that the first one that comes to mind, which means it's somewhere lodged very deeply in my brain, is Cruella Deville. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the coat, the the lipstick. That's I mean, really come on. good. Was, That's uh, a good. One. She's yeah. a, she's a good one. She's got a theme song. All right. Well, I have a girl to you? throw into yeah. the cauldron. I like Blair Waldorf. Oh, you know, a classic, a classic of her own time, and and my and thus my time. Right. Mean girl from Gossip Girl. That's mm-hmm. right dominates her social circle, rules it with an iron fist, Mm -hmm. decides what's in and what's out, is ruthless and petty, but also maintains a certain cockeyed idealism. Interestingly, Underneath her surface. All right, Nomi. Mine. Uh, I would probably have to say Heather Chandler from Heather's, like the the first, the main Heather. Can you? Okay, I'm just going to come clean. I've never seen Heather. Me either. No. I was just about to say that, and I thought I was going to be the one. Okay, I that's just, crazy. I just have to put it all out there. That's crazy. She's absolutely perfect. Everybody is scared of her. She ends up being uh, killed. Oh no! <laughs> you know. Wow. <laughs> Sorry to spoil <laughs> your viewing of Heather's. <laughs> Welcome to Critics at Large, a podcast from the New Yorker. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham. And I'm Alex Schwartz. Each week on this show, we make sense of what's happening in the culture right now and how we got here. Hello, critics. Hi, critics. Hello. How goes? Critics. Um, It's going great. How about you? Good, good. Going well. So here's what's on my mind right now. Tell us. Mean Girls. Ooh. Because, I mean, well, clearly Mean Girls are in the air. We have the new Mean Girls movie. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But the, the real reason I've been thinking about Mean Girls is because of a new show that I've been watching called Feud, Capote mm. versus the Swamps. Yeah. Indeed. Which is the latest entry in the anthology series Feud. I think it's actually the second. It's the second installment. Yeah, second yes. installment. So this show was created by Ryan Murphy, who is right. all over television mm-hmm. and seemingly every genre, uh, and each season purports to take on a different feud in history. Mm-hmm. This season of Feud, as the title says, is all about the writer Truman Capote and the group of high society socialites whom he befriended, who became known as his swans. When I was in London last week, I went to a party at Drew Hines, and I got stuck with Princess Margaret. Oh, dear. Hell on earth. She's tough sledding. How did you deal with her? Well, I asked her about Mick Jagger and Mystique. (laughs) Her mother's a darling, but the rest of that family. Prince Charles may amount to something, hopefully. So what struck me as I was watching this cohort, Capote Swans, was that they really represent a very familiar trope in the culture, the mean girl. Um, You know, 
to me, the mean girl is a person who lives for power. Um, she lives for glory. She <laughs> she lives to snub. She hopes not to be snubbed. Right. She wants to. Um, she she really she sees, makes sure she's not. She get makes snubbed. sure. Yeah, she sees social life as a competition in which she must wind up on top. You know, usually there are a group of mean girls gathered together, and mm-hmm. they represent a kind of collective power, but also nonstop internal competition. Like you know, as you watch them walking down the quad or whatever in whatever <laughs> college or high school movie uh-huh. that even though they look untouchable, right. there are all kinds of internecine power struggles going on beneath. And that is exactly what's happening in um, the the world of Capote Swans, these high society women from 1970s New York. I mean, are there other like who do you think of when I say it, it's mean about, girls? It, I think it obviously, you know, Regina George and the crew from from Mean Girls. Right. It's about a sort of exclusiveness. That's it. It's yeah. Like something is special about us, and and I'm sort of it's it's the, they're the original gatekeepers. Yes. Mean yes. Girls. They like guard yeah. the gates of their yeah. territory. Yeah. yeah. There's a certain untouchability I think about them. Like from the outside, you can't imagine that these Mean Girls would necessarily have feelings, vulnerabilities, and I think part of the allure of mean girl texts is the kind of like glimpse within into these circles. But also we get the absolutely delicious look from the outside, which shows us this version of femininity that's glittering and um, smooth in a way that's pretty alluring. So today, we're talking about this latest iteration of The Mean Girl, the one that we see in Capote versus The Swans. And what occurred to me while watching is that I'm just going to I'm gonna just throw the F word out right away. Mm-hmm. There's something... Which F word? Yeah, there's so many F words. Feminism, of <laughs> course. That's right, that's right, that's right, that's right. That's right. Okay, good, good, good. My favorite of the F words. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, there's something like pre-feminist or even anti-feminist to me about the figure of the mean girl because Mm -hmm. you have women who are competing for status and power in a circumscribed world where real status and power are located somewhere else, Mm -hmm. like where the men are. What I'm wondering is, like, given everything that's changed for women from the 70s to today, socially, politically, what have you, why does the figure of the mean girl still entice us? Why is she still around? So this week on Critics at Large... Mean Girls, and Why We Can't Quit Them. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Let's start with Capote versus the Swans. So this is an eight-episode season on FX, directed by Gus Van Sant, written by John Robin Bates, um, and it's part of the anthology series Feud, created by Ryan Murphy. Mm -hmm. Initial impressions. Tell me. I kind of liked it. Is it's that a, a little, is it, you're given a little guilty pleasure? No, it's situation. not a guilty pleasure thing. I mean, I think no, it's certainly not a guilty pleasure thing. I mean, I, I have guilty pleasures. <laughs> this is not one of them. <laughs> this is like this is like Mozart to like BB Rexa, you know, in in like the sliding scale of my guilty pleasures. I got right. so it's not that. No, I think you know it's a little florid. It's a little. Over the top and so on. But I think, first of all, for me, one of one of the saving graces is Naomi Watts, who I think is actually really, really good. As Babe Paley, though. As Babe Paley, yeah. yeah the the uh, 
you know, pillar of, of, of society, you know, kind of top of the heap, the, the, the kind of queen bee mm-hmm. who suffers. He's done the worst thing you can do. He's taken me for granted. What is it? What did he do? I told him I was coming. I gave him just enough warning. I found out Bill was still having his grotesque little affair with Happy Rockefeller. He was still? Now, in our home. Go back. We're talking the governor's wildebeest wife here that was still going on. I thought that was a one time. So did I. But he just wanted to keep screwing the governor's wife because he got, he gets a kick out of it. And this is what is so humiliating. That fat ankled Harrison. Yes. It's so humiliating. I'm, I'm not embarrassed to say that at the end of episode four, a tear snuck snuck from my eye. That's caught not you, a tear caught you unawares. It, it, yeah, it caught me unawares. Up. And I said to my husband, they're trying to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Vincent? Yeah. Um, it's so interesting, and I think that this uh, has a lot to do with Ryan Murphy for me. He's such a... He's such a little freak, that Ryan Murphy. He's such a little... John Robin Bates, who wrote this series as a playwright and has worked with Ryan Murphy before, um, talked about this in an article saying that, like, what Ryan Murphy is up to is trying to create, like, an alternate history of America, to use Mm -hmm. sort of pop tabloid gossipy history as a way of sort of offering an interpretation of America, right? Um, And so when he works on... Like, when it's working, that's a really interesting project, right? Um, And... What what the show is about is um, Truman Capote has written uh, a story that is a, a part of a novel that's coming out. He's, he's working on this novel. It's called Answered Prayers. And it is in a kind of expose, a hidden expose, a kind of Romana clay about New York society, which he has been sort of a part of as a kind of gadfly, adjunct to. He's been a mm-hmm. friend of all these Swans, and he sort of a close, airs, a close friend, a cl- very close friend in in many in many cases, yeah. especially to Bay Paley. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, in Esquire appears this story. It's called La Cote Basque, and it airs out lots of this laundry, and it's about him being sort of ostracized from society thereafter. The story uh, tore Bay Paley and Truman Capote apart because he took the story of how Bill Paley cheated on her with Happy Rockefeller, the former New York governor's wife, and, uh, you know, gave it a very thinly veiled version. The name, pronounced by Ina, was a caressing kiss to be sure. Sidney Dillon, conglomerator, advisor to president. Especially when he's married to Cleo Dillon, to my mind, the most beautiful creature alive. Whether he confesses to it or not, that is why he wanted to fuck the Revenge himself on that smug hog Covered with blood as it was. Sweat so was the sweet. The sheets Have you guys read the story? Let's just try to let's just try to separate fact from fiction. Have you read La Cote Basque? We yes. have read it. Yes. And what are your thoughts on it? I have my own thoughts on it, yeah. but I would like to hear your thoughts on it. There are some nice lines in this, but it it, it was not to my taste. Um to me, this story represents a decline in his powers. Yeah, for sure. It is not as accurate or precise as his uh, prose earlier was. Um, 
But I will, but I will admit the sort of page six reader in me oh that God, just loves yes. the structure and the feeling of gossip and one person dishing to another. Yeah, that no, made me I like live for this. It's so like, it, ma- it made you feel that you were there being told. I, I did being, like that. About yeah, it. having the poison poured into your own ear. That's right. Yeah, it's poison, but it's like it's it's an it's enjoyable. You know, it's it's the same when I get a text message from a friend that says nine one one. And I know <laughs> <laughs> that's when the tea's on the way. And I know the tea's on the way. So I hate mm-hmm. this story. You know, Capote doesn't know who he's writing for. I think with this story, he is splaying out these secrets and um, publishing this gossip and laughing and joking. You know, he wants to be in. Obviously, he wants to be on the side of the swans, and at the same time, he's selling them out. Capote is so unsure of his own perspective on it, but the way he wants to use these, you know, he has a lot of powerful information and he puts it all in the story. story. He really does. And for what? Well, for for what? what? So 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 what happens when the story is published? Like how do the swans respond? In in this show, as in life, this is the 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 truest fact displayed by the story, is that all of these women sort of close ranks. Now, no more being deceived by these men. Truman, the husbands, the men. Enough. And deprive him of the oxygen that <laughs> is the social oxygen. New York society. He will have nowhere. Nothing. Everyone will see it. Everyone will watch. Really, I mean, he never finishes answered prayers. There is a, uh, it was published sort of in its unfinished form, and and he dies, and partially the slide into like you know brain shrinking alcoholism um, is usually sort of attributed to the loss of this kind of access, you know. Mm-hmm. And what what I think the show does do a good job of uh, is showing, and I think we're going to talk about this more, how the the gay male figure who gathers gossip as a sort of adjunct, as a kind of satellite of this world, but also deploys it, you know, in social settings. Crucially, he is an interloper into the the, the heterosexual world. It matters that these women are, like, not just uh, very elite, not just rich, but, like, high femme. And yes. they are... And they are participants in and also in some ways victims of patriarchy. And as you mentioned in the beginning, Alex, like they are fighting over the scraps that patriarchy leaves for women, for straight women. Yes. And therefore he is like, you know, his access is dependent upon the the structure of heterosexual relationships. So do you guys buy this idea of mine that the swans are a crew of mean girls? And like, how so? Yeah, I, th- I think definitely. I think there is uh, both implicit and explicit competition, I think just in terms of their presentation, the jewelry, the slimness, you know, the 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 couture, um, the 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 matisses, you know, th- there's just like endless kind of scorekeeping about which one of them is the winner, which one of them gets to be the queen bee. there's a there's a scene where uh, Lee Radswell, uh, played by Calista Flockhart, is getting her hair done, and she kind of like talks into the into the mirror. We see her kind of like soliloquizing, um, and uh, as you know, she takes a pause and she goes, "Make it higher, like make her hair higher." Mm-hmm. So there's there's almost like make it m- make me 
be the one. There's a really beautiful, I think maybe the best piece of writing that I, um, that uh, according to me, whatever, um, <laughs> is a moment when uh, Naomi Watts playing Babe Paley is laying on the therapist's couch. Mm-hmm. And she describes herself to the therapist as my own work of art. Mm-hmm. And how hard it is, you know, the clothes, the hair, um, this, this, what we're talking about, this sort of, uh, at one point Capote talks about it, about it as a kind of, um, a kind of ballerina with gnarled feet, the beauty, but also mm-hmm. the, the, mm-hmm. the strain mm-hmm. that it takes to achieve it. The, the heightening of the, this like, again, like high femme heteronormative pressure. Yeah. I think this is part of, you know, I think the most sympathetic way of looking at the mean girl is somebody who at high cost at high psychological cost, has put together um, something of a shining surface. Yes, yes. One thing I'm wondering is, how did we get from Lakote Basque and Capote Swans to the housewives? Is there no relief? (laughs) (laughs) We'll get into that in just a minute on Critics at Large. I'm Chris Murphy. I'm Richard Lawson. And I'm Hilary Busis. We are from Vanity Fair's Still Watching Podcast. Next up, we're watching the new HBO show, The Regime. Madam Chancellor, let's keep the gloves on. This is not a confrontation. We're just saying what's true. Academy Award winner Kate Winslet is our chancellor as she leads a faux European autocracy in turmoil. We'll be watching week by week as the regime unravels. And we'll be talking to the stars along the way. New episodes of Still Watching will drop every Sunday after the regime airs. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. So, look, I understand that the Mean Girls are not limited to the 1970s. I'm a girl, or was one. I went to an all-girls school. Like, let's just put it out on the table. I understand why the trope lives on. But what I want to know is, where else do we see Mean Girls showing up in the culture? Because I feel feel like there's just a bit of a, you know, a flourishing right now. There's a bit of a flourishing. Of the Mean Girl. Yes. Where have you spotted them recently? Well, they are famously back. I mean, <laughs> it's not your mother's mean. It's girls. not your mother's mean girls, but it is mean girls. Yeah. I, you know, we. I think some of us have seen the the Mean Girls musical. Yes. Um, oh, right. The actual musical on Broadway. Oh no, the, the the musical movie. You know, this is the cycle the now. Broadway. There's a, yeah, this there's a is, movie. Right. There's a musical untang- on Broadway. Yeah, can there's you please a untangle movie. for us it's what's going untangle on? Untangle the IP the nightmare I, yeah, that with is, the IP yeah. that is Mean Girls. It, well, yes. Yeah, so, uh, Mean Girls by Tina Fey. Was a movie that is very good. I'm 16. Until today, I was homeschooled. And then it was goodbye, Africa. And hello, high school. Hi, I'm Katie. I'm Janice. This is Damien. Watch out! New meat coming through! This map shows the school's central nerve. Was a musical then, later, that I did not see. And now is a movie musical. Don't be fooled by the pink. She is not 
um, that I saw and did not enjoy. Okay. That is the that is the circle of life. <laughs> All right. That's the circle of life. So, so what did you not enjoy? And also what I'm really curious to know is, um, is it faithful in some ways to the original Mean Girls? What's been changed? It is at once totally faithful and then also a betrayal of the original Mean Girls. <gasps> much like Capote betrayed the swans? M- uh, wow. Maybe. Much like. <laughs> so it is faithful in that it – it is almost a sort of fever dream summary of the original Mean yeah. Girls in that all of the – any plot point that you can think of about Mean Girls – Is there. You know, the breaking of the of the crown at the prom, the uh, Regina George being swindled into eating calorie-adding things, thinking that they are diet bars, Katie Heron at the math competition, the limit does not exist. All of that is in this. In a sort of almost fan service way. I just want to uh, – I saw the movie as well. I saw right. it yesterday with my daughter who really likes the original Mean Girls movie starring mm-hmm. Lindsay Lohan. And she said rightly – she was like, if you haven't watched the original Mean Girls movie, this wouldn't really m- make sense. Like they explain – you know, it's it's almost like – it's a oh, long an, footnote of the it's original. It's almost an abstraction of the original. I think the best thing about this musical is Renee Rapp. Yes, I agree. As Regina George. Yeah, she's a star. She's a star and her songs are good. Although there's a moment where she's like, I'm Regina George. It's like Jesus Christ. My name is Regina George. And I am a massive Every My time, name is Regina George. <laughs> it's, 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 it's almost exactly that. And, um, <laughs> but as I was saying, the big betrayal, you know, if it was over faithful in one way, the big betrayal of it is the girls aren't mean enough. <gasps> yeah. They're not, you know, some of it is like, you know, they're adjusting for current mores and they're trying not to say certain words. Um, yeah, they don't want to say suicide. They don't want to say social suicide. They say yeah. It's socially ruinous, stuff like this. Um Yes, they are sort of at the top of a social hierarchy. Yes, they're sort of mean to the people beneath them. But the the real biting edge. There's no danger. There's no. There's not enough. There's not a lot of danger in the portrayals, especially of Regina George. Yeah. Um, that um, Rachel Ra- McAdams. Rachel McAdams, the original Regina George, is just so iconic, so amazing. Yeah. Um, because she seems like she can eat you for breakfast. That's right. What I think, though. Okay. Okay. That this does well. That kind of relates to how we talked about the swans mm-hmm. is it heightens the degree to which the structure of Mean Girls always was sort of queer coded characters to the side mm. dropping into a like very sort of like sexually charged heterosexual patriarchal environment. You know, you, you might remember from the, the original Mean Girls, Lizzie Kaplan, who I cannot believe they did not find a way to get her into this movie. Partially because Lizzie Kaplan, if you can hear me, we're fans. I love you. Vincent, we're fans. Vincent's um, a fan. We do love Lizzie. She plays uh, a character named Janice Ian, who is like the sort of Machiavellian figure, sort of moving Lindsay Lohan's Katie Heron into like, why don't you infiltrate the 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 plastics? Um, and, right, which is the, which is the name of the Mean Girl group. Right, and she like you know she wears like blazer tops and stuff like that. Very yeah. like there is like a sort of queer coding to that character as there is to the character of Damien 
her male best friend. They know everything about the plastics, but they're on the outside of, like, this hierarchy. Um, And in this way, I think they do, like, on some level, understand the plastics just as Capote understands the swans better than they understand themselves Mm -hmm. because of their status as outsiders. Regina George is an evil dictator. Now, how do you overthrow a dictator? You cut off her resources. Regina would be nothing without her high-status man candy. Technically good physique. An ignorant band of loyal followers. Now, Caddy, if we want this to work, you are going to have to keep hanging out with them like nothing is wrong. Can you do it? I can do it. Okay, let's rock this bitch. Um, so the new, the new Janice Ian and and Damien are Jacquel Spivy. He's uh, excellent. Who's by the awesome? Way. He yeah, plays he's Damien. Awesome. He's awesome. He's really funny. And I funny. also liked Auli E. Cravalo. I'm I'm not sure if I said that right. That's Janice. Auli E. Cravalo was the voice of Moana, so she's oh. a legend in her own right. Oh. Um. And and those are the, to, for me some like besides Renee Rapp, the two best performances in this, yeah. this movie. Yeah. Again, because they're sort of very clearly coded as outside of the um the gender play. You know, there is a sort of Judith Butler thing to both of these gender performance is so key to yes. to all of it. And yeah, I think there's... this heightens that and plays it up in a way that the original Mean Girls didn't. And I, I did appreciate that about this. Yeah. I also think that, musical. you know, I mean, much like the original, this this was true in the original Mean Girls, but it, it, it plays a role in this movie too, The which which brings us back to the swans and Capote, the kind of the danger of the pen, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? The danger of the pen, in the case of Mean Girls, there's, of course, the famous burn book that um, Regina George and her circle of plastics uh, used to write insults and, you know, horrible rumors mm-hmm. about uh, the rest of the people in the school, including teachers. And then when Regina George... Um, wants to uh, take revenge on Katie she uh passes it around and sort of reveals it i mean in this in this uh version it's through uh social media but you know much like lacote basque <laughs> which was its own burn book <laughs> kind of like brought out into <laughs> the open yeah. you know we have that thing of like the sanctity of the circle the impenetrability of the circle is flayed open because of it. I mean, one yeah. thing I'm getting from you guys, so I have not seen the Mean Girls musical, but one thing I'm getting from you guys, Lucky and maybe you. this is a reach, but is that there might be a bit of a discomfort with the trope of the Mean Girl in 2024. Like yeah. you're saying that it's a little bit nicer, that they don't want to go fully, you know, all the way. There, there's a sense that some of this is just like, you know, that we're past some of this maybe or they don't – They the full meanness has to be reined in. That's right. Um, however, 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 I would like to point to another classic Mean Girls text, mm-hmm. which isn't going anywhere and seems only to be getting stronger as far as I can tell. And that is The Real Housewives. You know, FX is marketing this feud, this um, season of feud, by calling Capote Swans the original housewives. I mean, yeah, they were, obviously. These women are all housewives. Like, that's all they kind of can be in this world. Um, Nomi, you know, you are the housewives expert here. (laughs) (laughs) Do you see the parallel? Yes, definitely. Definitely. I should note specifically, you know, we just mentioned the burn book. 
my one of my most beloved franchises in the Real Housewives universe is the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, which uh, just finished its most recent fourth season. And uh, interestingly, the whole season kind of centered around this new cast member, Monica, who is not as wealthy as the other women. She has some scandal in her past. You know, she cheated on her husband with her brother-in-law. You know, she kind of like, she's of the streets, relatively speaking, to the other ladies. And uh, she spends the season trying to prove herself as a housewife, you know, trying to be a fan favorite and so on, as they all do, Mm -hmm. but also trying to infiltrate the circle. And towards the end of the season, in the finale, in fact, it's revealed that this Monica, who has pretended to be a friend to all of the other women over the course of the season, in fact, before she became a housewife, was covertly running a burner Instagram account Ooh. called Reality Vontees, which <laughs> released all of this dirty information, or at least uh-huh. rumors, we don't know that all of it is true, is true uh-huh. about the housewives who are on the show. So they find out. So they find out. But then, of course, we have the reunions, which is its own kind of housewife. Uh, On some level has become the best part of the show. Yes, where Andy Cohen sits all of the women down. and uh, They wear crazy gowns. uh, They wear crazy, like, yeah, like night, like evening wear, crazy, like like bar mitzvah (laughs) from hell, like crazy, crazy. And so Monica is there. We didn't care about that because we knew that we had facts and we did nothing wrong. It's it is facts. It's not called her a tranny twin. It's I didn't call her that. It's we not, need to make that very clear. You know what? You did, because it's posted and it's live on Instagram right now. Uh, so you can... We were posting Jen saying it. Well, thank you. Thank you for being a courier of You're horrible lies and shit about me. And thank you for putting... And I, I'll just say that she pulls out a burn book. Literally a pot pink burn book like in Mean Girls. I went through this for three years. You think I want to see a burn book? Yes. It's a burn book. Okay. So she is self-conscious, very self-consciously reappropriating this figure of the mean girl, it's like, yeah, I did this. What are you going to say? What do you have to say about it? Okay, so all these references mix together and boil together to become a kind of codified mean girl type, like this Monica of whom you speak, who sounds, you know, (laughs) she sounds kind of wretched but also exciting, and she's clearly modeling herself on a Regina George type from the 2014 A Fay movie. Um, And, you know, if these women are looking even farther back, maybe they would look to people like Capote Swans, except that the version Or even to Capote. Or even, well, (laughs) especially to Capote, who's the meanest girl of them all. Yeah, exactly. Who's the ultimate mean girl. And if I can just tell you something that has struck me about... Mm -hmm. The Housewives. So I've dipped a toe into the Housewives universe. Yes, I have. Yes, I have. I've dipped a toe in. To me, it was kind of fascinating because what I'm seeing is drama being manufactured from absolutely nothing. You know, of course, it's a television show. You're you're performing and you're always conscious of who the audience is. I mean, I'm trying to bring this back to what I was saying before about who is Lakote Basque for? Who is a story like mm-hmm, that for? Mm-hmm, who is the mm-hmm. performance for? Yeah. Who who are the swans performing for? I mean, the real housewives are performing for us. What I kind of want to ask you guys is, like, does the culture need the mean girl? And if so, why? That's in a minute on Critics at Large.
Hi, I'm Deborah Treisman, fiction editor of The New Yorker and host of The New Yorker Fiction Podcast. On the podcast, I ask a great contemporary writer to select a favorite story from the magazine's almost 100-year archive to read and discuss. Together, we delve into the story, exploring its themes, its style, and what makes fiction work. You can listen to authors like Otessa Moshfeg talk about why we write. Story, or attaching a story or creating a story, is this inclination that we all have to stop spinning. And you can hear writers like George Saunders discuss the nature of storytelling. On the first read, you accept these things as descriptions, and they make you see the scene. But every line is a chance to inflect the reader's mind. You'll discover new favorite authors and read old favorites in new ways. Episodes of the New Yorker Fiction Podcast are released on the first of every month. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. So the swans are in the 70s. Yes. Like, mm-hmm. La Cote Basque is published when? 1975. Okay. And what's going on outside the world of La Cote Basque? Well, second wave feminism is happening. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, not to be so feminist about everything, but that is going on. There is right. a big cultural questioning of the role of women of exactly the kinds of gilded cages that these women, these powerful Lakota Basque women, sit in every Mm -hmm. day, their Mm -hmm. whole world. And even if that were not going on, the world that they exist in, for many reasons, is collapsing and dying. That was then. And yet, there is something that really seems contemporary about this circle of women in some ways, just like, you know, their interactions with one another, their internal competitions. Mm-hmm. We still have the mean girl. It's 2024. We just got, as we've been talking about, this new iteration of the mean girl's property, capital M, capital G. Why is she still with us? Do we still need her? I mean, a lot of things have changed. And yet, it does seem to me that there's still an appeal to this type. We kind of can't quit her. Why do you guys think? Yeah, I think— That's such a good point about second wave feminism happening as the swans are kind of cresting (laughs) in the era of Lakote Basque. And I think what is happening right now or has been happening is that the kind of like Mm anti-feminist stance of kind of like the kept woman and so on and and the gilded cage and et cetera, et cetera, has been – rolled into contemporary feminism, into a kind of choice feminism, which is like, oh, okay, you want to, like, wear these, like, stiletto heels and, like, live off your sugar daddy? Go, girl, you know? Like, slay, queen, get that bag, you know? And I think the continuing adoration of the figure of the mean girl probably has something to do with that. And I'm thinking, you know, of a figure of kind of like a mean girl um, that kind of stri- – I was like, okay, who's still a mean girl in our culture and who gets adored as a mean girl? I was thinking about the figure of Maddie on Euphoria. Alex, you watched Euphoria? Did- mm, I'm not a Euphoria watcher, so you're going to have to explain. Okay. So Maddie is the queen bee of Euphoria. You know, she's like 
se- sexual. She like she's like a winner. You right. know, she wins the the guy. She will do anything to sort of maintain her power. But the thing about Maddie is she is shown as someone who is clearly using the tropes of the mean girl or using the tropes of like, you know, her hero is like Ginger from uh, Casino, from Scorsese's Casino, the Sharon Stone character who's like, you know, this beautiful consort who who gets uh you know, Ace Rothstein, the De Niro character, to buy anything uh, she wants and, 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 you know, fund her lifestyle and so on because she's so beautiful, because she's so powerful in her femininity. And But Maddie is mean. She's scary. She's, like, literally violent. <laughs> you know, it kind of takes the mean girl mm-hmm. to that, you know, kind of the edge mm-hmm. of um, of almost criminality, you know? and And yet people were like... She's a bad, you know. Again, she was like iconic. Okay, I see. So people, glor- yeah, she became iconic. People she became iconic. This, yes. yes, much like, much like you know, in, in the Housewives, you know, where there's certain like high, high, high femme, almost drag, <laughs> you know, uh, women who don't behave in the best way, you know, might kind of like threaten to other women, might hold sway in ways which are underhanded, and so on. And yet they are divas and fan favorites. Yeah, I do think the drag is part of the point of it. I mean, it comes back to something that you were saying before, Vincent, about this kind of the space of queer characters in Mm. relation to this high femme performance. Mm. You know, of course, like, you know, a certain kind of queerness is imitating or is interested in that femme performance. I mean, there's a moment in the story, like Code Basque, where – Capote, for a second, leaves this very rarefied world of this midtown restaurant Mm -hmm. and says that he has been recently to a drag ball uptown in Harlem with a bunch of queer kids, you know, and not the not the like white Park Avenue world like he is leaving. He is going. He is seeing all these, you know, black Puerto Rican young queer people perform as the women who he is used to sitting with in the Cote ba- in La Cote Basque. Specifically, yeah. he's talking about how Jackie Kennedy is a kind of favorite for people to imitate, and he uses it, 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 he twists it into a mean line about how, you know, Jackie Kennedy seems herself, Onassis at that point, I guess, seems herself to be playing herself. Doing kind of drag, yeah. But what's so amazing about it is suddenly you leave this tiny world and you get this shock of entering a much bigger world where people – like the viewers, you know, the people who are in the position to be watching from afar are seeing and imitating and doing. That kind of really circumscribed power is still power. Oh, definitely. You know, it's so funny. You, you mentioned this sort of drag ball moment. And it, it, it that actually clarifies something to me that I've always wondered about, which is like, you know, um, people of color from formerly colonized places. I'm thinking about, you know, my you know my experience via marriage to Jamaicans and how much they all they like cared about and sympathized with um, Princess Diana um and I think there's something about uh, specifically like the rich white woman yeah there's something so specific about someone who we can because of their situation in society we can see the power that they wield quote unquote beneath them mm-hmm. but also how they are victimized from above by by men Definitely. someone who this this one figure um opens up the social world for us 
can mm-hmm. you can see the pressures of, of of victimization, but also see a kind of how power, you know, what we the the, the phrase now how power works mm-hmm. is so arf, is so well illustrated by this figure, the the, the rich white woman who like yes suffers from society and can make others suffer. It's very clarifying that. Um, that role. And even housewives, you know, this is my housewives theory. Mm-hmm. It, because of all the things that we've talked about about it, it opens up society to me. To me, Housewives is a show about apologies. Interesting. At the beginning, at the, and this is like, you know, apology may be the, the, the grease of the social world, right? At the beginning of a series, somebody's offended. Either something has happened or somebody was offended from the end of the last season or from the... Um, or somebody's been talking shit or on social reunion. media in between. Oh, yes. Somebody's that upset too. at that's the very beginning. Part of it. Yeah. Somebody offers a rote apology that's not really an apology. And yes. then it's about the non-apology apology for the next couple episodes. She said such and such, but she's still acting funny. Blah, blah, blah. She's not, da, da, da. The, apo- the non-apology apology now comes up at the dinner, the first night dinner. Boom. Big blow up. Somebody says something unforgivable. And so in, in like either the, the apology truly like fulfills itself. Sometimes somebody is friends where they didn't used to be friends or whatever. Um, but, you know, and, and then, you know, somebody gets cheated on by their husband. You see these things, these other pressures, but also how you can like we are going to ostracize the shit out of this person because of X mistake that they made yeah. or X whatever. So, like, again, this figure, this like sort of suffering agent of suffering for others um, for some reason, makes, like, social dynamics so clear. Yeah, this figure of the white woman being ripe for projection. Right. Because she can accommodate projection from multiple directions, as you were saying. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. The Yeah. And and it it really has been with us, I mean, the 19th century novel, early early 20th century novel as well, is is just rife with examples of this figure, of the suffering white woman. I mean, I'm thinking of Gwendolyn Harleth from Daniel Deronda, right? No one suffers at the hands of her husband Mm -hmm. more than her. Um, But she's also like a huge bitch. (laughs) 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 You know? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's not easy. (laughs) The original antihero is the mean girl on some level. In some level, Yeah. I think, though, there is, on the other hand, just to, to, to bring in a point that we started making before, the sort of niceness of the cheerleader, the niceness of the mean girl, the, 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 of the former mean girl. You know, I'm thinking of figures like um, Alex Cooper from Call Her Daddy, you know, like one of the most popular podcasts oh, yeah. in America right now, though we're coming up behind her. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, the sort of, like, blonde, beautiful, bubbly, but also, like, tells it like it is, bitch, you know? Yeah. But she's also, like, you know, she calls her fans daddy gang. She brings everyone in. You know, she just had, like, a tour of live shows where she got, like, fans to marry on stage, you know, during the live show that she hosted. So she's kind of, like, all about community while also being this figure of, like— the once feared kind of perfect cheerleader, right. you know, there's, there's while the guys in, want. Yeah, there's power in being the reformed. Yeah, it, there, there is, I think, a trend side by side with this kind of like mm-hmm. iconic bitch, takes no prisoners, you know, still a mean girl till the day she dies trope with the kind of like mean girl. But now everyone can be my friend. 
Yeah, or, or also just because of age. I mean, not to get too basic and simplistic about it, but you're now reminding me of an episode of a sort of long ago episode of This American Life of All Things um, that is dear we're all, to me. also coming up behind them. Yes, exactly. We're coming, we're coming for your spot, Ira. Um, <laughs> it's the reporter Jonathan Goldstein who um, now hosts the podcast Heavyweight, and he's talking about this kind of mean girl who ruled his high school and everyone lived in absolute fear of either had great, I mean, of course, all the boys desired her, all the girls wanted to be her. And later in life, she's become this really good friend of his. And it's kind of, she almost has like an amnesia about her behavior. Like it happened in this high school hormonal fog when naturally she was going to go out and terrorize everyone around her. Uh, And he's sort of interviewing her. And it's like hearing, I mean, it's kind of like a war criminal just being like, I don't think that was me. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't recall. I don't recall. It, the power is in terrorizing, but is that a power one would want to wield? I think there's a certain loneliness rolled into that, right? Yeah. Oh, God. Or at least coming, are we coming around to feeling for the mean? No, girl? or at least I we would like to, to. Th- or yeah. at least we would like to think that. Because I think the fear is the hope and the fear looking at these mean girls is imagining like how great their lives must be in, in a lot of ways, right? But I think concurrently we would be happy to learn <laughs> that in fact it's a it's lonely at the top. You know, there's something comforting about that, you know? Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, right. So on the one hand, we have this kind of redemption arc for the mean girl. Like, she feels too. She's she's a nice person underneath who was just operating in this. Sure. And she was just, right. you know, trying to run the rat race of life, and that's where it took her. And on the other hand, what about vengeance fantasies like the movie Carrie, where we're going to get oh, them. I love gonna, Carrie. Yeah, I wrote we're, that down. Yeah. yeah. Let them all, let them all, you know, let them all die in a school gym somewhere. In a, <laughs> they you know, deserve in, it. Yeah, in hellfire. They deserve it. It's like, I think, yeah. has some of that I mean, drained I, from, I mean, <laughs> from I, our desire. No, I love that. I still love Carrie. Great movie. Great book. I mean, Amy Irving in that movie, The Mean Girl, still haunts me. Well, so maybe The Mean Girl exists so we can take her down. That's, I would like that. All right. So... We have to ask before we end. Have you had enough of the mean girl at this point? Do you, or is she for you? Is she done with? Or can you not wait, you know, for the next episode of whatever she's going to get up to? I like watching her. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to be involved. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you want to be firmly in the spectator seat. So if she's walking down the high school hallway, you're going to flatten yourself against some lockers and let her go by. Yeah, listen. I mean, old habits die hard. This was always me. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Don't touch me. <laughs> <laughs> Vincent? I think that as long as there's a social world, there will be a mean girl. Yeah, you know? that's probably true. Um, yeah. In life and in art. Um, as long as there... Um, is hierarchy. There will be a mean girl. You know, she stands in for and 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 sometimes serves to illuminate um, that rungs exist yes. and where we are on them. And for that, I think we owe her gratitude. All right. Well, I don't know if I can get down with thanking the mean girl, but <laughs> you know, certainly I can hold the bottom of her ladder and look up and you know. Give her a little wave as she as she just steps I, on my I head you, and continues climbing out up to the top. I thought you were about to like you guys really topple need, the ladder and you guys really need to watch Heather's. Yeah. Okay. okay. We're all gonna watch Heather's and we'll reconvene. Okay.
This has been Critics at Large. Our senior producer is Rhiannon Corby, and Alex Barish is our consulting editor. Our executive producer is Stephen Valentino. Alexis Quadrado composed our theme music, and we had engineering help today from Jake Loomis with mixing by Mike Kutchman. You can find every episode of Critics at Large at newyorker.com slash critics. We have been loving your wretched love story submissions. Yes. Please keep them coming. Email them to us at themail at newyorker.com with the subject line critics. Or even better, leave us a voicemail at 347-464-1476. Send them to us before the end of this weekend, before Sunday, February 4th, to make sure we can use them in our episode. And we will see you next Thursday. are the risk takers that help reinvent and reimagine the kinds of stories we see on TV. We Disrupt This Broadcast, a brand new podcast from the Peabody Awards and the Center for Media and Social Impact, talks to creators of TV shows like Abbott Elementary, Watchmen, Black Mirror, and Better Things to explore how the most compelling shows and the creative powers behind them are upending the status quo. Listen to We Disrupt This Broadcast now, available where you get your podcasts.